Put your phone away. What are we talking about right now? What do I do with it? Put it back here where they can't see it. If Laura calls, you'll see on my watch. Yeah. Uh. All right. So just a quick life update. Um, there was a couple reasons that, you know, we took last week off. Um, obviously Easter affects us more than people who only do this, but also, you know, my man TK had to run home. Yeah. Had a child, had a baby back to Nashville for the birth of his little girl. Yeah. Hence the coffee right now. So bloodshot eyes, really tired, but yeah, biggest blessing ever. Little, Little baby Cameron. That's right. So. Um, so a little more sleep deprived than usual. Yep. Um, but just got back into town from spending about a week and a half, right? Yep. Yep. Week and a half. With uh, with the family. So mm-hmm. the first thing that I want to to ask you is how different do you expect your coaching life to be now that you have a newborn? It's a great question. Uh I mean, I think, I think if your priorities are straight in the first place, um, and it truly is like faith, family, football, um, the biggest difference is just, you know, probably a little bit more time, you know, try to help your wife out, obviously. But um, I, if it's a huge, huge drastic difference, I think that's when people need to go back and check, like, okay, well, what were you doing in the first place? Were you truly just football and not spending time with your wife, whatever it may be? Um, but, yeah, I think definitely much more time. Uh, much more consideration, probably a lot more than anything, just sitting at the office and every once in a while kind of like, oh, crap, like I hope everything's okay with the wife. Should I go, you know, relieve her of her duties or whatever it may be? Uh, you know, thoughts I've never had before because I've never had a child before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, but yeah, I think I think it, it's much different. It, it definitely puts things in perspective now as far as, um, I mean, you have a child to provide for and you have so many unknowns out there and the responsibility that's placed on your shoulders. Oh, my gosh, it's it's incredible. Scary. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with uh with the guy that he used to get being coaching and and has kind of transitioned out of it, but um has contemplated the idea of getting back in. And when their second child was born and and as she started to get, you know, a couple years old, he just blatantly said that priorities are totally different. You know, yeah. when we first met, it was very professionally driven, climb the ladder, you know, build the resume wanting to be a coordinator, head coach, you know, check those boxes like like a lot of guys that when we first get into the profession. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, but he yeah. he just openly stated that, you know, as she's gotten older and, and now both of their kids are going to school, the, his biggest focus is getting into a, a, a place that is safe with a great, you know, school system mm-hmm. where they can get a great education. And if the opportunity presents itself – he can continue to do what he loves. And um, I think it might be one of the hardest balances to keep within the coaching profession is, you know, chasing those professional yeah. goals while maintaining that stability and consistent environment for, for your family. I mean, it's one that, you know, Kelly and I have had, you know, my wife is also pregnant and we're expecting it the perfect time of the first week of August, right when two days start. So that's going to be fun. 
But <laughs> what, what, what terrible planning. Te- right, <laughs> you know. But it's like Mike Tyson says, man, everybody's got a plan yeah. until you get hit in the mouth. That's right, yeah. You know, we had a plan, and, you know, we're just happy that everything so far so good is, is healthy. And yeah. Well, you are, you're, you are where you're supposed to be always. Right, exactly. Uh, but that's one of the conversations we've had is, you know, if an opportunity comes up, when is the right time? What does that opportunity need to look like? And, you know, you got to give her credit because homegirl put her foot down and said, there's no opportunity that's going to be good enough if it doesn't check these two boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she was right, and she has been right, which is is one of the big reasons that, you know, outside of the success and the the comfort that we do have in, in Salina, one of the biggest reasons that we haven't been – active movers or, or looking. So, no, I think that, that's a huge draw. We, we had talked before about when this whole McKinney job kind of popped up. Um, it was one of those things to where it was just such a perfect opportunity and situation. Um, I mean, there's plenty of other good areas out there, but McKinney is a great place to live and all the surrounding areas around it are great to live. And so it's a place to where, you know, if coach Shavers ends up hating me after week one and wants to fire me, um, you know, I can, there's still plenty of schools around that we could maybe, maybe still get a job there, not have to move and little baby Cameron can, you know, lay some roots down and we can have a, a safe place for her to, to grow up and live. Absolutely. And selfishly for me, you know, we've known each other for eight years now, and this is the first time since we were both poor college kids that we've lived even remotely close to each other yeah so um that i think is going to be fun especially with us basically entering the exact same phase of life at the same time you know Mm y'all got a couple months head start but um you know i think when when our little one arrives and some of the experiences that you will recently have gone through being in the profession you know those are things that i can definitely pick your brain and and lean on you about and vice versa you know our wives can walk that coach's wife path together because it's a very unique path that takes a very unique person do you you think just like staying on this subject you always hear the coaches talk about you know you your whole job is based on 14 through 17 year olds uh you know what i mean you, you hear that all the time and i mean it's it's what we signed up for you know so you kind of say that jokingly um, but it's totally true. You know what I mean? Do you think, and I ask this, you know, kind of rhetorical, but it's that much more kind of pressure or maybe that statement is that much more true when you have a child now? Cause it's like, Whoa, you know, like my job now and my livelihood and the, you know, the income I make and all that type of stuff is based on these kids, which I signed up for and I love, uh, but now I have a child. Yeah. And so, <laughs> um, I think that, I think there is some kind of off-the-cuff joking mentality, especially when, you know, people that know the game or around the game, but they're not necessarily in the profession, when they say it, you know, they're kind of half kidding, half serious. Yep. Um, but that statement alone hit home for me this year more so than usual um, because Kelly does have uh, a daughter. I have a stepdaughter. Uh, Kelly had a child in a previous marriage. But, um, you know, Lane is basically mine. You know, Mm -hmm. that's exactly how I view her. And with the way that we kind of came out of the gates this year, kind of stumbling a little bit and and not really finding our rhythm for the first month or so, um, it it that step statement carried a lot more weight for me (laughs) and my family to the point where, 
you know, we had an offensive meeting and right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, I basically laid it out for the guys. Like, you know, I got a nine-year-old at home that would love if I was there yeah. watching TV or coloring or playing catch or doing literally anything with her. But here I am yep. on the weekends yep. for, you know, umpteen hours trying to do what I can to put us in the best possible situation. I'm not telling you that to guilt trip you. I'm telling you that to make sure that you understand how real this is for me mm. and for the rest of this offensive staff and how much they put into it and how much, you know, our receivers coach has two kids under the age of five that, you know, he sees four hours a week in the fall collectively, yeah. you know. So it's yes and no. Yeah. It's, it's a real statement, but at the end of the day – for me and the, the kind of the environment that I'm in, as as long as we – the two things that I was told by uh, some guys that worked here my first year was if you're doing what's best for the kids, okay, and you're staying within the, the structure of the law, you know, you're probably going to make a decision that they can all support and get behind. So, you know, I am fortunate in that situation. The expectation is high here, but, you know, it's high from, you know, build great – people standpoint yeah. and the winning comes secondary and i the longer i'm here the the firmer my belief is is that if you do the first one the second one's coming yeah that's where also too like you know from a from a family man perspective that's where you start looking to you know if, if you're getting a job interviewing whatever you really got to take into account how that head coach and it's okay to in my opinion it's okay to ask the head coach you're interviewing for like you know what is your view on, on kids being around the office on on saturday and sunday like Coach Brawl is like, all the kids go up there, have fun, run around, whatever. We're game planning. And as long as it's not obviously too much of an interference with that, yeah, whole family is invited here, right? 100%. I mean, one of the best stories that the first time I heard it didn't really, it was like, oh, man, it's crazy. But one of the best stories and examples I've ever heard of that is um, came straight from Bill Snyder. Um, when Phil Bennett was at K-State, tragedy hit his family. He immediately became a single parent. Um, with his wife's passing, and he went into Bill Snyder's office and said, you know, I got to hang it up, man. I got kids at home that I got to take care of. And Bill Snyder, you know, basically told him, bull crap, you ain't going nowhere. Those kids may have lost some other, but they just gained, you know, nine dads. Those kids Whoa. stay up here. And if you need to go get them, you go get them. And if they need to come to work, they come to work. Seriously. And we we are going to – the K-State family is going to help you raise these children, and you're not leaving the, the profession you were meant for. And I mean, I heard wow. he didn't tell me this story directly. I just kind of happened to be yeah. in the collection where where he shared some of the sentiments from it. And you've heard it echo just in different conversations about Coach Bennett, who's a great man. Um, but he said that he was he had fully prepared mentally to to leave coaching, and and Bill Snyder wouldn't let him. What a legend! What just an absolute <laughs> legend. That's you know? that's awesome. Good that's how him. you reach the status of naming the stadium after you while you're still coaching. Yeah, you're probably pretty good then if that happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I think it's something that's become – it's more impactful for me now. I, I would definitely say that I'm still in the mindset. And that could completely change come August uh, when our daughter does arrive. But um, it's definitely ch impacted the way I think. I would still say that professionally there are still those goals and, yes, and yeah. boxes that you want to check. Um, but it's not – four years ago where it's just me, you know, and I can throw 
you know, a couple of duffel bags in the truck and, and take a new mm-hmm. job and, and, you know, live at the field house for six months till I kind of get my roots resettled. You know, there's a lot more factors that come in. Um, and so I, I do always think it's interesting when you see guys transition out of that. Cause there are people that, you know, one of my really good friends, a former teammate, JD Walton, uh, he yeah. coaches in Frisco and he loves coaching and he's good at it. You know, I think that, it's really hard to deny his knowledge of the game, but he's pretty open about, you know, I'm not here to jump around and climb the ladder. I'm here to coach ball and, and have mm-hmm. my family in a consistent right. and comfortable place. Um, and there's a lot of guys in the profession that are great at what they do, that that's their mindset. So I always like to see, you know, when this life transition happens, when, when little ones are introduced into the picture, you know, how it impacts guys focus and, and, personal goals or professional goals or, you know, what immediately if there's a change in in the rank of like what we're going to focus on. So would you say that with, with Cameron's birth that you have changed your short-term or long-term goals or focus? No. So, so if you go back to the statement of, you know, 14 through 18 year olds are kind of determining your career. I think you, you have the coaches that kind of take that into a negative aspect and they put that back onto their players hey, you're screwing this up, you're screwing up my life. And I think you could totally flip it around actually and say, you know what, that gives me more motivation to coach those kids better because of Cameron now, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, from a like setting roots perspective, um, I mean, yeah, there, there's nothing wrong. And it's my goal to be at McKinney High School for the next 20 years as offensive coordinator. 600 yards a game, 55 points a game. True. If we could do that for 20 years, I'm good, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, that's that's, that's the goal, and that's, that's kind of been the goal since Cameron's been, you know, introduced into the world. Very cool. Yep. Very cool. Yep. So there, there was one thing, you know, changing subjects now, um, one thing that's kind of been going on with um, the Texas High School Coaches Association recently. Um, so there was a – Coach Martin actually went to court and was basically backing up um, – as far as a homeschool bill, I don't know if you saw that or not, but basically trying to people have been trying to get that passed to where if you are in homeschool, you are allowed to play at that school that your district in. I believe that's correct. I know I did know that it was it was a conversation. I didn't know that that Joe had gone. Yeah, uh, had had I knew there were intentions and that was in the plans, but I didn't know it had happened. So he went um, in opposition of it. Gotcha. Right. And obviously there's been tons of people that have been on, you know, on the other fence about it. Well, they deserve to play and, and this and that. And there's no right or wrong. But as a coach, I just want to see what, what your opinion was on that. So this conversation, the first time I ever heard anything about it was actually we were you were in like elementary school. I was in high school because um, that's what Tim Tebow did. Mm. Tebow was homeschooled. And then in the state of Florida was granted eligibility, I, I believe, with a, with, a high, with a private school. Yeah, I remember that. Um, and I always thought, thought that that was interesting, but I did feel as though it aligned better with private school structure. I don't think it right. aligns with – I don't think you can parallel those or, or intermingle those from a public school standpoint. The state of Texas already has existing associations – for homeschooled students. I'm not sitting here saying if you're homeschooled, you don't deserve to play sports. That is not even remotely close to my stance. Mm-hmm. But there was an organization in uh, Stephenville of local homeschoolers that 
had yeah. organized sports and they were dang good. The Knights or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, played six man football. Yeah, won, yeah. Uh, I pretty regularly a couple a few state championships. Yeah. Um, and are always very competitive in the six man game. Um, there's an association in the uh, Plano Frisco area that they field a baseball team and a football team mm-hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. And it's all homeschool kids that they sign up for this association and it introduces athletics and competition at the high school level to those kids. Um, here's my problem with letting kids be homeschooled and then playing at public high schools is you are just adding a level of policing that's unrealistic because now through an abundance of technology that's been introduced, especially, you know, throughout the COVID experience, um, virtual learning, online learning is becoming more and more regular and, and more mainstream. So where it used to be an, an alternative solution, it's becoming kind of the mainstream solution for a growing population of, of high schoolers. Um, and if you begin to allow those situations to pick and choose mm-hmm. in relativity, right? So if a kid lives in Frisco, he's got 12 different options yeah. of where he can compete. You know, how do you police that? Oh, well, what school district do they live in? It's hard enough to make sure that when a kid goes to a new school, he's actually in that district and and this, that, and the other. But it makes it too easy to, well, we're just going to homeschool him and then – now we've introduced the recruiting aspect of potentially introduced the recruiting aspect of high school kids to high school programs mm-hmm. because they're homeschooled and they can compete in the public school sector. Yeah. So if you want to be homeschooled, the automatic assumption is that it's academic, okay, or individually motivated, right? You're looking to accomplish certain things academically, you're looking to care- take care of the individual on very specific things. And if once you've made that decision, you would like to pursue athletics, there are organizations and associations that fully allow you to do that. But don't expect an easy transition or no pushback to, well, why can't they just play with Joe Schmo High School? Well, why can't they just attend Joe Schmo High School? You know, the... the way that Texas is set up from a public school standpoint is so unique and so strong that I steadfastly believe that the less we change it from a structure standpoint, the better off we're going to be because it, you know, it doesn't, we're not designed in a way to where private schools and like in a lot of other States are, powerhouses or the drip you know yeah where i just came from exactly yeah you you see a high academic rigor for the most part across the board obviously some areas are going to be a little bit higher than others but that's with any change in demographic um and you're going to see a high extracurricular rigor relatively across the state okay at the public school level and the standard has been set by the state for teachers and for coaches within the public schools. Why change it? Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer. I mean, the, the way I would dumb it down, and I think people have to understand, when you, when you decide that you're going to be private, like, you selected that. Like, that's what you're doing, and you have to accept everything that comes after that. Like, if I've got a coloring book and I've got a square, and in each quadrant, right, it, it says, you color this blue, this is red. 
this is green, it tells you, all right, this is what we're doing. That's the Texas High School Coaches Association, in my opinion, the format. It, it is already set. The moment that you take those labels out, color it whatever you want, you just open up a can of worms now. So now that the moment you say, oh, you know what, we're going to allow homeschool kids here, all right, well, now you just open that up. And now there's all kinds of hardball things going on, loopholes and whatnot, right? And so it's one of those things where that's what makes it special is it's set, right? Greatness is set within that, and you can't change it. And the moment you do change it, I think you just lost it with special. Did you just call those hardball things? Hardball things, yeah, loopholes, yeah. Can you elaborate on that? I think, I think he does a great job. Um, I'm going to keep it real short. <laughs> I've just never heard that term, so I'm very curious <laughs> on what the actual meaning Probably is. Probably a lot of people haven't heard that. He does a great job at finding loopholes. Hey, we're going to go to Italy and, and do our, our, what was it, summer, summer ball, spring ball, whatever yeah, it was. It was yeah, genius. it was genius. Yeah. So and har- then the NCAA harbol. freaked out and was like, wait. Wait, you can't do that. Oh, wait. You, ooh. We actually Touché. Yeah, Good exactly. job. You got it. So, yeah, hardball. Very cool. Absolutely. Very cool. Yeah, and that, you, you said it in the best way possible. I think people are going to get mad and say, well, I'm homeschooling my kid for this reason here. Okay, well, that's valid, right? But it still doesn't, like, well, because of this reason, you can play football. But the other reason for the other kid, no, not good enough. You can't play. You can't do that. You can't do it. 100%. Uh, transitioning, kind of circling back to, because there's some more familial structured things that I wanted to talk to you about as your family grows. Um Go back to the first four years of your coaching career. Yeah. Borger to Taylor to Canyon yep. to Hutto. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Four schools, four years. Thanks. No, no, yeah. no. It's, but, like, <laughs> to me, it wasn't – none of those were like, oh, you know, he got fired, yeah, so he yeah. had to go land somewhere else. They right. were – everybody was chasing you. You were the bell of the ball. But how different – when you were looking for – a next opportunity or the next opportunity was presented to you when McKinney reached out to you about coming back home. How mm-hmm. different was your mental approach to that than literally any of those other moves? Because I remember the conversations we had about each of those opportunities was, Hey, what do you think about this? Right. Well, give it, give me the, give me the pros and cons. And you listed them out. We had a 20 minute phone call and like within 24 hours, you pretty much made a decision. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, how different was your approach after meeting Lauren, you know, with mm-hmm. Cameron on the way, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, yeah, I think, I think I'd say it's a complete 180, like 100%. Because um, people have asked me before, you know, in the interview process, like, you know, I look at your resume, I see that you've bounced around, you know, from place to place. What's to tell me that you're not going to go somewhere else, you know, as a stepping stone here to go somewhere else? And it's like, well – you know, th- those moves were justified in my opinion. So my initial goal for all those movings were I wanted to be, you know, a GA and then I wanted to be, you know, QC and then I wanted to be an OC in college and then NFL and so on and so forth. And so I felt all those moves, I think they were at the time kind of projecting me to that. Um, specifically like New Braunfels Canyon, for example, uh, when that transition happened, that was the time to where I was talking with Cliff, um, at Texas tech and, uh, I mean, hindsight, I'm glad it didn't work out because six months later, you know, yeah. there was a transition there. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, that was kind of my whole whole deal. And then whenever Coach Dilfer called me and asked me to, you know, go to Lipscomb Academy, the whole thing was, just, well, you know, I'm going to launch you here, you know, to college. You know, you'll be a coordinator, a QB coach, uh, a P5 level, whatever it may be. Um, that was my goal. And then you went to a basketball game. 
That's correct. Yeah. So then literally you go to a basketball game and Coach Dilfer uh, prior to that was like, hey, we, we just spend way too much time together. Um, just you and I too much. <laughs> and he's like, you need to go on a date. I'm going to Louisville this weekend to go watch his daughter play volleyball. Uh, I heard there's a fifth grade teacher that's, you know, she's pretty. She, uh, it's her first year teaching. She hooped at the university. You should give it a shot. Like, all right. Spoiler alert. It's his wife. It's my wife. Yeah. So yeah, I ended up obviously meeting her and, uh, everything changed. Ended up getting married. Coach Dilfer married us, got two puppies and now I have baby Cameron. Um, and so you fast forward to the McKinney offer, um, and the whole really thought process is where can I go to set roots? Where can I go? And I know it's rare, but like where can I go to be an offensive coordinator for 20 to 30 years, just crushing it, doing my best? Um, and we're happy there as a family with every, all of our surroundings, everything that we have, the community, where can I go do that? Which like if you were to ask me that two years ago, I'd been like, man, that's the most complacent mindset ever. And I and like I was so naive. So we're, <laughs> so we were both so dumb. Yeah, like oh, I thought I had to figure it out, and it's you know now it's total opposite, and that's the goal now. So yeah, complete one eighty. Yeah, I mean, slightly different approach. I would say actually similar approach, different outcome, because a lot of the conversations that we had, you know, you got you were at the high school ranks a year before me, um, but. Every offseason came with, have you checked? Did you see the job boards? Did you see that? Did you see yeah. this? Hey, what about this job? What do you think about that? Um, and constantly weighing your options. And your aggression to to new opportunities and things of that nature um, is – we've had this conversation before. It's I think that there's two approaches to your career as a coach. 100%. When you get into it, you know, at a relatively early age, somewhere in your your early to mid-20s, you know, your approach was to trial by fire yeah. and and see what different opportunities present themselves, chase those opportunities, and and try and be as successful as possible in each opportunity as you go. And mine, even when I got here, knew it was a great place, didn't think I'd be here more than 18 months. And that is no that's nothing negative or critical to to Salina. It was just my mentality, very similar to yours. Like I'm just going to go out there, crush it at AFCA, get to the coaching, get to coaching school, shake as many hands as I can, and I, and this is going to be a great starting point, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's going to catapult me somewhere else. My high school coach Mike Glaze just on the on a regular basis, from the first conversation we had about me getting into coaching to any conversation we had after that, he was very steadfast in program over position. You get in a good place, stay there, learn as much as you can. And when the opportunity presents itself with, within that program, now you're in a great place. And it was really, really hard to take that advice at 25, 26, watching you go from, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, panhandle to hill country, yeah, yeah. you know, to central, seeing you get to do all those things. Part of your mind is like, man, so jealous, like yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I would think that there was a part of your thought process that was like, man, you know, he's not living out of his car mm -hmm. mentality and, and kind of that mutual respect for different paths with similar goals. And it's something that's conti it's it's continuously evolving. Right. I think, you know, our approach to jobs and situations and, and things of that nature. And 
you know, I, I've become enamored with this conversation, the, the deeper into pregnancy and growing family yeah. we've gotten. I love hearing people's approaches and thought processes about it. Yeah. I mean, and to kind of tread back, like not actually living out of my car, but damn close. Uh, yes. So. <laughs> it's pretty close yeah. there. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm in Tennessee or Texas right now. But anyway. We got off a plane at what, 9 o'clock this morning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I love the conversation. I think it's, like you said, my whole thing with going to Borger, um, that was my first job, offensive coordinator. And was I ready? Absolutely not. Um, but it was a place, um, and it's no disrespect at all, but it, that was a place that I felt that I could go, you know, really l- learn by, you know, trial and error um, and not necessarily be exposed. If I took that first job at Allen and I was the OC, I would have been exposed to the world. And I'm not saying I wouldn't have got another job, but, like, that would have been, like, the Shane Falco Sugar Bowl. <laughs> Everybody remembers you for that thing. And, like, I just – Weren't you the guy that took Allen to, like, three and seven that year? Yeah, that was me. But I promise I'm better now. Like, I don't want to have that. And so I just figured that, you know, when Borger offered me the job, I'm like, well, this is a place that I, I could – I could take this path versus, and I think people should know too, like your path, people that are listening that don't know, like Salina is very coveted. People, people know about Salina. Um, it's nationally known. And so when you get an offer and your first offer two coaches at Salina, that's, that's kind of a rare deal, especially like not being at the middle school first. And so like that didn't happen a lot. And so I think those are your two different type of pathways where it's like, you know, you come up, you come up in a great program, you learn, uh, you get to see different coordinators, uh, you know, you're making your own little book about it, you know, what I like, what I don't like, or you take my route. And like I said earlier, you're always where you're supposed to be. Um, and things happen for that reason. Um, you know, I wouldn't have met my wife if I didn't do all those things. Uh, you wouldn't be having your baby if you didn't do all those things. So those paths obviously happen for a reason. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, there's no right or, or wrong way. It's just the ethics and the principles at which you go about when you decide that path are what's going to determine your end. Yeah, and um, just real quick before we kind of put a bow on that conversation, if you guys haven't caught on yet, um, the subtle, like, just descriptions or or pieces of TK's network that you get to hear about, like, oh, you know, when I was communicating, when I was talking to Cliff about – GAing and then Dilfer reached out and you know et cetera et cetera. So really, my job in this friendship is to keep the Rolodex updated, you know, because it's it's within the coaching world. You've done a great job of building a great network. So you. you know, thank you. So have you. Bragging. So have you. Yeah, that's, right. Uh, no, I mean that's I mean that's what it's about. I mean that's that's the connections are what it's about. I think my mindset as far as those connections are totally different now than what they were. Expand. Um, as a young, I mean I'm still young. I don't feel young, but I'm still young. Um, when we were in our early twenties, I know my mindset from a relation not, not I can't say relationship because it was a relationship from a connection standpoint was completely selfish. It was totally, um, well, if I meet him, I can go here. And, like, looking back again, like, how stupid was I to do that? Now those relationships or those connections become relationships because it's like, you know, for example, Tim Hasselbeck, right? Like, talked to him the other day, and it's like, name drop. You know, hey, happy birthday. 
uh, you know, hope you have a great day. Uh, and then we're talking and it's just like genuine, like, oh, I hope you have a great day. Like, it's not what it was for me even five years ago where it's like, um, happy birthday. Hope you have a great day. Dot, dot, dot. Maybe I can say this because a year from now when I text and want some help, you can help me. If that makes sense or not. Yeah. The motivation behind the connection. Yeah. Has yeah. completely changed. Yeah, it's it's genuine. Like if, if if I meet you and 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 you know we have that connection, I want to make a great relationship because I want to make a great relationship, not to help me selfishly. And I, I'm ashamed that that's what it used to be, but I'm better now for it. Yeah, I'd say that your best connection obviously is me, and you hated me the first time we met. So no doubt, sat in my chair, pissed <laughs> me off. Like I, I, I'm early to every meeting. I walk in, he's already there in my chair. I'm pissed. I'm like, who is this guy? Uh, just doesn't know the chain of command here. And then we're watching film and still don't know who the guy is because he still wasn't introduced. And we're trying to figure out a play and what to call it. And he's like, why don't you just call it Toss Right Opposite or whatever. And I'm like, who is this dude over here speaking? We don't speak. All right, we just take notes and say, yes, sir, and act like we know what we're talking about. <laughs> so mad, but obviously it worked out. So. Yeah, first off, <laughs> I'm obviously not the best connection he's made. I just wanted to make sure that we all pointed out that the day TK – ever saw me the first time he immediately hated me because I sat in his chair and I immediately learned pretty much everything I needed to know about getting into the coaching world at the collegiate ranks because afterwards when we did actually have a conversation he was like hey man you just like you probably shouldn't talk as much and I was like wait what <laughs> don't speak and that was a big hurdle for me uh, and it still could be to this day, but I feel like I'm in a situation where people might actually listen now. So no, uh, I th no, I back that up because it, it's a perfect yin and yang. Because I I was too much like shut up, don't do anything at all, not to a fault, but pretty close to that. Like I wouldn't say a word, and if I did, there was no confidence behind that or conviction to where he was quite the opposite. It was like you know he had great confidence, and I admired that. And when he wanted to say something, he'd say it, and. um you know, again, to that extent, not necessarily to a fault, but we were both, you know, kind of borderline on both of those oh, edges 100%. there. And so we kind of, you know, he showed me the ways and I showed him the ways and it was, it, it, it worked I needed, out. I needed a little bit more TK and, <laughs> yeah. and TK needed a little bit more me just, yep. which is the whole thing is, is one of the funniest full circle just experiences. Um, and it's something that, you know, I love seeing coaches go through the transition. One of the biggest transitions from when we first met was your expectations of what being a great coach was. Um, and that doesn't mean, like, success, building great character, et cetera, et cetera. That is purely hours and work environment motivated. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you were talking about earlier have, being a family environment. And ha I think – that, and we may have talked about this on here. I don't know, but I know we've talked about it, you and I, whether it be off camera or not. But, you know, there's a lot of places that say that. Yeah. There's a lot of places that are like, oh, yeah, you know, we're, we're one big family. And if your family needs it, there's a lot of places that say that. And they don't mean it. Mm -hmm. They say those things. And then if you leave before 1030 at night, you go to the top of the that's, crap list. That's right. And if your kids are up here while – Meetings are going on. Yep. They're immediately a distraction. There's no grace. And, you mm -hmm. know, but anytime they talked about it, anybody in public, it's, you know, we're just one big family and we love having the kids up there, et cetera, et cetera. And so there was this, I don't want to say misconception, but there was 
the view you had of coaching and the collegiate coaching experience, and, and which in this state is very similar to to the high school experience. Um, and then there was the experience, the only experience I had mm-hmm. that had any, you know, from a environment standpoint, you know, not that's not to say that my high school experience was bad. I just was a 17-year-old idiot and wasn't paying attention. So I didn't notice if kids were up there, or if, you know, coaches were up there till midnight or anything of that nature. I did. You don't really notice those things if you're mm-hmm. not paying attention. And I didn't really start paying attention until I was in the hallways at, at Baylor, you know, communicating on a regular basis, a personal level with, with our coaching staff. And, you know, I, that was not the environment I was used to. I was used to, you know – all the little Bryles kids running around, yeah. all the little levies running around, you know, all of these kids being there and it being fun, you know, them loving coming out at the end of a practice and playing catch with some of our starters or running sprints with dad or whatever that experience was. That was all I knew. Hearing our coaches talk about, hey, you know, we're getting off the field at 6, dinner and staff meeting at 7, we'll be done by 8.30, I want you all go home, nobody stays late, Right. We'll meet. We'll get together in the morning, type thing. Like, just do your job. Approach, right, wrong, or indifferent. I don't think you know. With any conversation in coaching, there's a thousand ways to do this thing. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. But there's a balance, and it had nothing to do with me directly because I didn't create the environment. I just happened to know about it. But I would say that watching you see that, like not just hear me talk about it, but when we went to Waco and you got to see that environment, that your the change in your perception was something that like, it was really funny because I think you thought that up to that point I was kind of lying or exaggerating. Yeah. And it was really funny for you to be like, wait, it's real? Yeah. So well, it, was a, it was an epiphany almost. Not almost, it was an epiphany. <laughs> like I got there, I was like, whoa, hold on real quick. Coaches go home before eight? No. Especially college? No way. I remember it was a Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. Yep. 2014, right? 13. Uh, 13. 13. And um, they finished practice like at 6 p.m., I think. And I remember Coach Brawl was walking off. He was like, Coaches, get a lift in. You, you guys go home. I'm like, Whoa, sun's still out. Nope, something's going on. Joke's to- on me. <laughs> totally changed everything. And so, yeah, it's, I, th- I think that means. Coach Shavers, to kind of transition it or piggyback off that, Coach Shavers asked us as coaches last week, what is an elite practice? What is an elite player? What's an elite coach look like? And one of the common things that I had wrote down about a practice, a player, and a coach, they're happy to be there. So it's like I think a lot of coaches kind of get lost in like, well, you know, great communication, uh, which is true, 100%. Got to have great communication, systematic great communication. Um, you know, great energy, great effort. Okay, well – the one underlining thing that will support all of that is if the person is happy to be there. If they're forced to be there, they're probably not going to be happy to be there. And as a head coach, and I got it from Chris Ross, when he said, head coaches, all right, raise your hand if you're out there in the audience. It was at you know, the, the convention. Um, or the, the DFW, DFW clinic. Yeah, DFW yeah. clinic. And uh, he was like, hey, you guys need to know the importance. You guys are literally scheduling other grown men's times. He's like, and more importantly, away from their family. So you need to make sure you always remember that. I'm like, whoa, that, that was deep. So I, mean, I think if you can do that, understand that, and make the kids, make the coaches be excited to be there, that makes all, all those other things kind of fall in line. They want to have more effort. They want to be more excited. They're going to be more excited. Um, 
And I, th- I think it, it just kind of naturally works its, itself out. Yeah, and I think it's your ability to be great at that comes from you have to understand who's around you, who's part of your program as a player, who's part of your program as a staff, head coach, coordinator, whoever's making those decisions. If you don't, if you're just – like I think that's one of the things that can be – almost a negative about like a walk around coach, whether, you know, you're a coordinator in a situation, you get to be just, you don't have a position group. You're just Mm -hmm. the coordinator or a head coach that isn't directly tied to a coordinator spot or a position, you know, not that you can't be successful in it, but you have to be super cognizant of, I have to intentionally continue to build those relationships because you can attest to this. Where's the easiest place to build a relationship with one of your players? In a position meeting. Yeah. You're yeah. Get, like the fir- the first five minutes and the last five minutes, you can still get stuff done, but you're gonna see personality. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna the whoever's in there first, the other person's gonna walk in on a conversation about a life outside of football. That's a good and point. you can either be a part of it or yeah. you can be strictly business. And the last five minutes, there's gonna be a conversation as everybody realizes the meeting's widening down, you're gonna Hey, what did, yada, 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 talking about something that's outside of football. And those are easy, easy layups to just build a relationship, understand what the kid's going through, understand what the coach is going through. Mm-hmm. Coach Babers used to be the best about that, man. He used to tell us about, you know, he's got four daughters. So he was like way outnumbered in his household, five mm-hmm. to one. And he used to just kind of come in and, and vent for 10 seconds about that, you know, you know, my oldest is doing this or, you know, my youngest is doing this and this, that, and the other. And that made the transition to when he was like, hey, come over, y'all are positioning meal at, at the house, you know. Well, now we kind of know who these people are. Yeah, we might be meeting them for the first time if you're a young guy, but, mm-hmm. you know, we have an idea of the dynamic and what it's going to be like and and vice versa. You know, if the kids happen to get there before him and and we're sitting there talking about something and, oh, who's who are you talking about now, right? And it's an easy transition. But if you're not in one of those meetings, right, if you're not the quarterback coach, mm-hmm. if you're not the receiver, if you're not the whatever position coach, you have to be very intentional about putting yourself in those environment and asking those questions to understand where people's mental capacity is. Yeah. And keeping that in mind as you build the schedule and not just being as analytical as possible of yeah. well, this is what it's going to take to be great. You know, this is what we did the last time we won a state championship, last time we won a district championship. We have to re. We have to recreate that. You can't recreate that because it's two that's, completely different teams. That's such a good point. No, I think I think you see that a lot too, like within coaches. So, like a good example would be like, I doubt Nick Saban hires twenty Nick Sabans. You know can't what I mean? Do it. Yeah, and so it's like, I think even as a coach, like you know, if I ever become a head coach, you have to you have to know who your coaches are. You said it, and you alluded to it earlier, like. Coach Dill for the first year, it was his first year coaching. Um, so trial by error, obviously, you know what I mean? And we all learned a lot. But that first year, he was hard on me. Uh, and I think there's obviously time and a place where everybody needs to be hard on somebody. No doubt. But he was extremely hard on me. And those of you who don't know me, I am extremely OCD. I'm very sensitive. I know who I am. All right. Now, again, I can take an ass chewing 100%. But I'm sensitive. All right. I don't respond the best when you just, if you're every single day you're yelling, it's not going to, it's going to piss me off. There's no point for it. All right. Cause at some point, if that's all you do, then I'm just not going to listen to it anymore. I'm sorry. It just, it is what it is. Like, just talk to me like a human. All right. If you want to yell at me, that's cool. But if it's every day, it's not going to be a good thing. So anyway, move on to the next year. 
and he was talking, he was on the John Gordon uh, podcast, and he, he had brought up that scenario. He's like, I learned with my offensive coordinator that that's not the best way that he operates. And I did not allow him to coach the best way that he could coach because how I thought I should be coaching him, not off of what I thought was best for him and why I hired him versus my defensive coordinator. We can yell, scream, and we do that every single practice, almost get in a fight with each other. But that, that's how he operates. I think you have, to do, you have to have that analysis and relationship and ability to kind of emotionally um, profile, I guess is a way to say it, each player and each coach, and then let them do what they do best. For sure. And that's one thing that I, I have been super impressed with about being here because just to kind of paint everybody a picture about what the Salina football world is about, um, on our staff there are six, maybe seven, I think it's six guys that played for Salina. You know, A, that's awesome and impressive. Yeah. But as somebody coming in from the outside who is not from Salina and grew up in a town that is completely different from a mentality and approach standpoint, um, it was intimidating in the sense of, am I going to be expected to change my stripes to fit what all of these guys have known, done, grown up in, et cetera, et cetera? Mm -hmm. and, and Coach Elliott, there was never that expectation. Now – you're going to wear orange, white, or gray, and we're going to wear tall white socks. But, you know, you're you're going to have the same haircut that we expect the boys to, and everybody's going to be clean shaven and all that. But all of that is window dressing, and it's not an expectation of, and you're going to coach this way, right. teach this way, speak, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We, you're going to – here's your job. Do it in the best way that Travis McLean can do it. Yep. And as long as it produces the outcome that we want from a growth and maturity standpoint, and then from a football standpoint, why would I change it? Yep. And and I've seen him do that with, you know, like I said, we have a, a, a strong nucleus of guys that played here. So their approach to certain aspects of the game is pretty similar. Uh, but I've seen him allow coaches from the outside to do their own thing, be their own person, you know, as long as they're wearing orange, white, and gray and wearing those tall white socks, their personality can shine in any way, shape, or form. And it was something, even after being here for five years, transitioning into that coordinator role, in the back of my mind, I'm going, okay, he's never had this conversation with me before. Is he going to have it with me now? Hey, is the coordinator you're expected to do this, this, and this? And although there were expectations from a job standpoint, you need to do this, you need to do that, it was never you need to do it this way. Mm -hmm. and those are the situations I've always felt the most comfortable in and I've always felt like I've been the most productive is give me the problem, give me the end goal, let me get there on my own. And right. as long as I do that, I'm going to feel confident in my process, I'm going to feel confident in my results, and we're mm. going to be able to be the most successful version of ourselves. Amen. Amen. That's Yeah, it's, you said it good. I mean, I think if you can let your coaches do that and let them be who you hired them to be, um, you have multi-personalities on the staff now that the kids can relate to, um, and the kids like to see that. And then you have coaches that are comfortable doing what they do, and they're, pa and they're probably now more passionate about it because they're doing what they want to do. 
within the realm or the blueprint of what the head coach has. So that's you said it very well. And it also kind of, you know, touches on a conversation I have with my wife a lot. Hey, look, I'll do anything in this house that you ask me to. Don't tell me how to do it. Yeah, I think we need to be very smart about how, <laughs> about how we approach that one there. But, yeah, I, I get it. Also, score update, I have yet to win one of those conversations. As I say, normally that's kind of how that works. That's, that's normally where you have to say yes, ma'am, and you just accept it. So, I'm, I've actually started to get proactive in some of those conversations. As soon as I say yes, ma'am, I immediately follow it with I'm sorry. Yes. Just in case, hey, what yeah. are you sorry for? I don't know. Just, there's probably going to be something in the next three minutes that I do that's not the way you wanted it done, and I'm yep. just trying to get ahead of this thing. It's smart. That's very smart, yeah. That's good advice for all of these that are just now getting into marriage uh, or even a relationship. So it's, you're going to be sorry at some point. Just say it. Get out of the way. <laughs> Last question. Does Lauren truly know what she's in for being a Texas high school football coach's wife? Um. No, I, I don't think anything that is new you're not ready for. Uh, it's, it's change. You've never experienced it before. Um, I think if your priorities are in line, your mindset is positive, um, you can be prepared mentally for those things. Does she know all the intricacies within it? Absolutely not. She's heard about it. Uh, but she, you know, she obviously hasn't experienced that yet. I think the biggest difference is she's gonna, you know, kind of experience is, um, I guess, they had a pretty good relationship there at, at Lipscomb Academy. But the biggest issue was is there was only around, I guess, three to four teachers in the building, you know, out of the, out of the thirty coaches, and then you know, three full time that were just football all day long. So very very different dynamics. Um, probably less that the wives can relate to besides the fact that, hey, you're, you know, my coach is, or my husband's just a coach. Whereas in Texas high school football, what makes it special is it's like, we're all teachers, some form or some fashion. Like I'm an incredible health teacher. Grade A, elite. Um, and so, but we're all, you know, so we kind of experience all the same timelines. I, I think that uh, she'll probably end up having more, more of those uh, coaches' wives to talk to, relate to. Uh, and kind of build a relationship because I think it is in Texas more than anywhere else. It's more of a true like family with your coaches' wives because they have to be. If you don't have a solid coaches' wives foundation, uh, I think I think it, it's just not a it's not a very good marriage there in regards of your whole staff and and the, the emotional stability, especially when you go to games. I mean, they, they kind of have to be that family that sits together and just I got your back, you got my back. And when you don't have that, I've seen it. I've seen it crumble. For sure. I remember um, hearing Joe and Peggy Martin describe, really Peggy, describe um, when, I think it was when they were in Allen or maybe, I think it was, how the wives took turns, even post-game, like game gets over 10, 30, 11 o'clock, like we're all going to be, the nucleus is we're going to somebody's house, we're going to spend an hour together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and reaffirm the familial environment with, not just our kids, but everybody's kids, not just our spouses, but everybody's spouses, we're going to reaffirm and build each other up just through being around each other that the result of the game wasn't isn't going to set the standard for how we communicate, interact with each other moving forward. Yep. We're all going to come together. We're going to take turns going to different people's houses and having the chips and the dips and the, you know, the deli and cheese trays or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and when it's still warm, like, 
the kid we're going to go to people's house that might have a pool and they're going to swim and jump on the trampoline and do all that because you know at the end of the day the only people who get it are the people that are inside of it mm-hmm. and the the support system for our families is our fellow staff members families has yeah. to be yep. you know as much as you want to say yeah but you know Tom over at XYZ High School, his we're friends and do similar time. Right. But it's it's not the same because it's not the same. Yeah. Right. Yes, we practice similar schedules. We play similar schedules. But if they win Friday night and we lose, mindsets are totally different around our house. Yeah. So it's it, you know, you want to make sure I think that's what builds consistency and, you know, retention within a staff is when that connection is built and, and that story was really cool. And I think that, you know, Kelly got to hear some of it too. And, and she went, you know, head first jumping into that environment of, you know, she loves having kids at our house. She loves interacting with the high school kids. Um, and she's big into, to feeding them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we all know how easy of a connector food is. So, um, you know, I would say that Kelly might've had a little bit of a head start because she was coaching when we met. Um, so being a coach, even though it was personal and it was a different sport, she had a little bit of a head start in understanding that, but you know, it, it is, it's different, but I, it takes a very special female to fulfill those shoes. And I think that we are both extremely lucky in the sense that, um, both of them, are poised to be the greatest support system we could have, but also um, yeah. support each other and the the other families within any staff that we're a part of. No, I think that that's where I'm. That's where I can't wait until season, just because like Lauren Kelly, they're incredible. Like like Lauren's the best when it comes to yeah, just do whatever you want, and it's so easy. I think for us to take advantage of that stuff. Oh wait, really? Uh, don't take the bait. Don't do that. Yeah, like she's right. just saying that, right? But she's such a sweetheart, and so like, she's never been here before. She's been, you know, at Lipscomb Academy forever, and so it's one of those things to where I just can't wait for her to kind of get rolling with those coaches' wives because of how special you know those those tribes are, um, and to where hey, you're one of us now. We're going to take care of you. I think once she feels that, once the coaches' wives feel that, I think it makes everything that much better, and you're not just. You know, um, I'm Coach Kirkland's wife, and, and and it's just me. No, you're part of a family now. I think that's going to make the transition and everything much better. 